Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to the second part of our episode on music and storytelling. In part one, we explored the background of bards and magic, the history of bards to date. Uh, all in green, um, you know, except for the mention of Morpo the Bard uh, Goblin, but no cards outside of green, and also no real clear definition of what the bard creature type does. I mean, we talked about the fact that it's not a creature type yet, uh, so and we, we wanted to kind of explore what that meant. We also kind of talked about bards in literature and really what storytelling goes on through music. We were joined by Eric Linden at Yavamaya Elder, who also has a music page which is linked, to discuss this. He is an uh, educator and also a musician in Minneapolis, and this topic is very near and dear to him. Where we left off last time, we were just kind of finishing up where magic has been. And now we're going to be picking up with the story of Bergi and looking at Kaldheim and looking at where magic may go. This is going to transition us into a discussion about the real world and what music means, what storytelling means to, to us, um, kind of how music can be used, how music can be, uh, you know, just talking about Eric's personal journey with it. And then also uh, Alex and I jump in and talk a little bit about kind of our own experience more from the perspective of listening to music and as just content creators in general. Before I move on today, I also just wanted to thank the Grinding Coffee Company. They are a black-owned, LGBT-ran coffee company that supports gamers. Uh, if you go to the Goblin Lore Pod on, uh, if you go to our Twitter account um, at Goblin Lore Pod, you will be able to find a link to them, uh, which also is an affiliate link for us. So I just wanted to remind people of that, and also just to remind people of our Patreon. Um, we are working at kind of trying to expand it. As of right now, we have two tiers. The second tier lets you get to choose uh, one of our Goblin Lore uh, games, our Goblin Games, one of our shorter episodes. But anyway, for today, I just want you to sit back, enjoy, and listen to part two of Music and Storytelling. It brings us, and I, I think that I'm, I'm tr the, the, the immigrant song made me think of the fact because it is built in that, that Nordic kind of tradition to bring us to Kaldheim where we're kind of starting to see some songs and story emerge you mentioned scald mm -hmm. and we have the card master scald that did show up with a flavor text that basically is it's a dwarf warrior so once again still no kind of bard story uh, uh creature type but we know that it is a the flavor text is all my scars have stories to tell which feels very country to me but yeah and uh, so Master Scald is the first time I believe that Scald has been used in Magic. I was really excited to see that term show up in, in this kind of Scandinavian Norse uh, setting. And this is also a white card. It's four and a white. Um, when it enters the battlefield, you can exile a creature card from your graveyard. And if you do, you return target uh, artifact or enchantment from your graveyard to your hand. Um, so it's sort of, um, also doing some archeology span stuff, which is sort of associated with bards as well. Uh, so this was a really interesting card, uh, to see, um, there's another, uh, white card story seeker that kind of seems to move some of this storytelling song stuff over into white, which I think it, uh, really does belong there because so much of the part of a bard or a scop or a scald was to tell a story and bring society together and celebrate their values and and you you know unite people behind their myths and legends and history and so i really like that move into white i was kind of wondering what you all thought of that yeah i i think that 
it definitely fits well with what you're talking about that that tradition of the bard or both of you were talking about as as the person who kind of brings the story brings the stories but also is telling the same stories that people know they they're not just sharing information they're also sort of reinforcing it which is a very sort of white thing to do societally that that makes sense and also in uh, Kaldheim, we have a character, uh, Bergy, god of storytelling, uh, mm-hmm. who shows up in one of our, our stories as well. And obviously from the name of the card, uh, Bergy, god of storytelling, uh, we get a, a hint what's going on. And Bergy is a red card, two and a red. And when you flip her over, it is Harnfell, Horn of Bounty. And I caught this reference right away uh, that this is a mead horn, which is very highly associated with sort of these um, Viking halls and storytelling and those kinds of things. In fact, I have uh, my t- a tattoo that I have is three interlocking mead horns because of the Odin myth uh, where he stole three horns of mead and, and was able to drink down all the poetry, inspiration and wisdom in the world through mead. So this was really a resonant card uh, to have this scald storytelling, this, this God. And, you know, when you flip her over, there is this mead horn uh, and mead is an alcoholic drink, fermented honey, very strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I th- I'm pretty sure Hobbs, you're familiar with mead to some degree. Yeah, we're actually looking at making one because uh, we yeah. can make it gluten. We can make it gluten free for Gen Celiacs. So, uh, yeah, it's actually been an interesting discussion about switching over to what we're going to look at and could we make some mead? Because, yeah, uh, I, we made we made cider. This is completely off topic. I'm sorry, my mind just just went, but it's like it wasn't high enough alcohol content just for what I prefer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, mead will get you there. <laughs> yeah, my my one experience with mead is was at. Uh, fourth street fantasy it's is a small writing centric convention i go to in, in minneapolis that someone brought some homemade mead and uh, i did not have much but i did wake up with a very very small headache the next day it's like wow that stuff's potent but it, like you said the, the, this this was we're kind of getting these double-faced cards that can represent multiple things which has been interesting from not only a mechanic standpoint kind of the melvin side of it alex i would love for us to talk about this but also the vorthos so we're representing kind of the horn which could be an instrument also mm-hmm. well, it, and also we're getting the god on the other side that is telling the story yeah well and, and in this case if if you know we're talking about a mead horn that that's not an instrument and and and, and also oh, right right so i just got really excited by mead and was like yeah it could be an instrument why not but this is this is great like it well a it fits the flavor text which is amazing like uh, like her well of stories birdie's horn never runs dry which i was trying to make sense of when i was contextualizing it as a instrument horn but it makes a lot more sense <laughs> um but also you think about this is a different type of bard too we've been talking about music and musical bards but Bergie is god of storytelling and has a mead horn as as her her main tool so that means uh, while there may be some music involved this isn't necessary may or may not be um this this is storytelling as the central facet of of what she's doing and also bergy is mono red which is another 
good place for for storytelling and bards as well like we were talking about the the role of bards in mono white that kind of fitting them but this is a different um this is inspiration and this is this is passion and, mm-hmm. and those things are are great in red and again i say this a lot when it, because we're seeing it more and i'm really happy to see this but every time we can represent things in red that aren't simply aggression and combat it, it it helps to make the game bigger and the world bigger and the universe feel more like it has greater depth. And this I is- know f- for me, this is why Morpho the Bard was so cool when I saw the flavor and saw the flavor text of Morpho the Bard, because it's not only, as you said, Alex, other things represented in red. It's also a goblin. Mm-hmm. which we've been, I mean, obviously a focus in here of kind of that representation of what a goblin can be and more than and what legendary goblins can be. And Morpho just makes that an exciting possibility. I have one more Melthos line to go down with this card. I know we don't, we don't generally talk about cards because most of the time we're talking about story and story shows up in cards, but that's not the main thing with it. But they are really starting to pack story into mechanics, and that makes me happy. But I'm just realizing Bergy allows your creatures to boast twice, and that was a keyword from the set that lets them do some extra stuff in combat. But like, how perfect is it that when her main tool is a mead horn that doesn't run dry, it lets your creatures boast more than they normally can. Like that's a- <laughs> yeah, I love that too. The, uh, you know, we were saying, we were kind of joking, well, the meat horn wouldn't be an instrument. But the interesting thing about meat horns is they actually were weapons. Like you can't set a meat horn down. So they were kind of good for discouraging uh, drunk Vikings from fighting because if you set it down, they tip over. Uh, and then you lose all your mead. But there, it's pretty well documented that they were used as clubs and other weapons. There's a pointy end. Um, and since we're on the fact of strictly bards, I don't believe that Bergie's story, uh, Know Which Way the Wind Blows, um, actually talks about her uh, playing music, as we, we say about it. But there is this uh, strong insinuation that uh, between her story and the mead, she is very much casting a, a spell that we would see in music. Uh, we, we saw a lot of Scandinavian storytellers use a, a, a lyre, but we, I don't know that we saw it in this story. But that was a really... No, we, the, but we get her, uh, you know, like um, Nico kind of mentions that, that with the hall being quiet, it was easier for them to make out what she was saying and that it was deep and rich with their own music. Like, it is still that there is a quality to it. Um kind of wrapping up just magic piece of it so we can start talking to Eric about, you know, his music, which I think is a, a cool thing. Um, we have sagas that have been emerging, which I think, once again, epic poems, but I also think there's room for this. We also have instruments, and it's interesting to see what the instruments do. Um, you know, so we have a didgeridoo, which <laughs> cheats minotaurs into play. It's always been one of my favorite things ever. Um, we have the goblin war drum, we have goblins. Actually, we get a couple of instruments here, which I'm totally excited about because we also have our own um, lyre, which lets us coin flip, which is amazing. Um, but the war drum gives us menace. It, it, it spurs on. Um, well, it, yeah, it, it, it intimidates people on the battlefield to to make it harder for them to uh, interact. Like mm-hmm. that's how I've always read the mechanic of, of menace. Cause it requires multiple creatures to block one creature it's because of you know the 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 intimidation and so there there are instruments there's musicians and magic um we actually even have uh, 
the card musician, which gives music counters. This is an amazing card if you have never seen it before. Um, like, I always forget about this card. Oh, I love it. It's one of those old, was it like Ice Age? I, it was Ice Age. Yeah. It has cumulative upkeep, but it basically puts a music counter. Um, and if the music counter, basically, you have to pay one for each to keep it uh, in play for each counter on it. Yeah. So basically this has been magic's journey with mag with music so far and we're kind of seeing it moving towards at least more bard-like qualities whether that's just straight storytelling or music storytelling we're kind of seeing and i think that eric you're hint you're talking about the color pie makes a big difference here we saw it in green early on we talked about maybe it was tied to elves we only have three named bard cards but now that we are moving a little bit more into i think where we may be seeing this with the D&D set and where we saw it in Kaldheim is we're seeing more pushed into white and to red in particular. I think we were discussing beforehand, that makes a little bit more sense to us um, mm -hmm. from a color pie standpoint. So let's talk about now kind of our real world connection. So we, we brought Eric on because as Eric said, he's got this tie to is, you know, as an English teacher and an educator, also as a musician himself. Yeah, so a little bit of about my uh, my background, and I'll kind of start with just the beginning because they kind of tie in the stories too. Um, you know, when I was a kid, probably my favorite couple shows would have been the Monkeys and Elvin and the Chipmunks, uh, that kind of stuff. There was a whole lot of those kinds of things in the eighties. Uh, the reruns of the Monkeys, of course, on on Nickelodeon and. Uh, the Beatles, they had movies. So the story and song kind of were always intertwined in my mind with some of that kind of early rock and roll kind of stuff. And from an early, early age, um, my brother and I would would dig out an old acoustic guitar that was underneath the steps. My dad had never really learned how to play. And we would try to teach ourselves like just we were really drawn to the instrument right away. And it felt really special. And I remember us trying to make uh, maracas out of all kinds of things around the house and, and play as the monkeys uh, instead of playing as soldiers and that kind of stuff. Um, when I was a little older, uh, and this is a story I've heard from many, many people, is uh, when I was about 13 years old, so it was a perfect storm. Nirvana came out, Nirvana's Nevermind, um, and alternative music really hit. and. For me, that was, it was so different from what had been on the radio in rock music and other music that it really turned the world on, on its head for me. And I begged my parents, my brother and I begged our parents to let us get a paper out so that we could save up money to buy a guitar. And once we did it, it was just like all the time, you know, there's pictures of me uh, sleeping and the guitar is there in my bed with me. <laughs> um, and I, I do feel bad for my parents to have, um, so much loud electric guitars and later band practice in their house, but they were always really supportive of that. So uh, we played cover songs. We played the uh, 1979, the Smashing Pumpkins song at my high school talent show. We wrote original songs. Um, I always think of the cover song being the place that I think people starting with, because it is, it's, you're learning the music that has come before, right? I mean, that's what drew you to it. I, I mean, I just think of this as being an interesting thing when we're talking about, 
this journey with music and then also where we were talking about with the epics is that you learn other people's music kind of first. I mean, and it, it makes sense, right? That's what you hear, but it is kind of, you're learning to retell that you're learning how it's played. You're learning how that story is set up. Yep. And you're, you're learning the tricks that people have and the structures and, you know, it, it is like you're, you're, since we're in this realm right now, it's, it is like you're learning how to cast these spells. Like, what was this song that drew it, drew me to it? How can I do that? How can I do something similar to that? Um, that kind of reminds me of someone like Leonard Cohen, who is famously very into real like hypnosis. And there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of thought that he brought that into his music. And that's another place where uh, sort of music and magic overwhelm. So, yeah, even early on, we were drawn to try to record stuff and put some money into a little four-track recorder. Uh, it was pretty difficult to do, um, but, you know, we gave, it a, we gave it a good shot. So then, um, you know, college happened, work happened, you blink your eyes, and, uh, you know, I'm 40, and I had pretty mild midlife crisis as far as midlife crisis goes. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you, you didn't get the sports car you got a new instrument I got a new thing in, yeah got a telecaster and i started uh playing quite a bit and got together with some musicians around minneapolis and we kind of put together an americana band and we were playing around town for about a year and then covid hit can you real quick because we, we like to make sure that we're hitting on terms here Americana, do you want to explain a little bit for, I mean, just like you said, there's subcategories and everything in music and Americana yeah. is something very specific. Americana is sort of like alternative music where it's a big umbrella term that categorizes people doing lots of very interesting, but disparate stuff. Um, so when I would say Americana, I would think everything from Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson, sort of on that countryside, uh, to Lumineers and Mumford and Sons, some kind of that more uh, newer kind of stuff. Nathaniel Rateliff. Um, yeah, folk. I think of it as being like the intersection of folk, country. I mean, it's 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 more of this. It is more of the storytelling. It is more of that roots type. You know, even bluegrass could fall in here. I think that there's a lot. It, when I think Americana, at least, like you said, it is an umbrella. But I do think of it as almost being a storytelling format, or I do think of it as having like where a lot of musical traditions kind of come together. Mm -hmm. You get bluegrass in there, like Trampled by Turtles falls in there as well as, you know, like, I mean, I would say um, Taylor Swift's new album, Folklore, which got pretty good reviews. <laughs> is, Sorry. Uh, I'm still, I still have that, that album on like heavy repeat and the second, yeah. the follow-up sister album to it too. You know, so that would fall under Americana, um, big range of stuff. Yeah. So we were kind of doing that kind of thing around Minneapolis and we'd be put in with, um, some kind of like sixties rock cover bands or nineties rock cover bands. And it was kind of interesting to, cause I love, I love all that stuff too, but we were definitely kind of doing the Americana thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so when COVID hit, it was kind of a setback. Like it was the reemergence of my musical career or whatever that was. Um, but my well, a big part of it was playing live. Yeah, playing live. I mean, going, yeah. And um, for me, um, and this was true even when I was in band or jazz band, when music comes on, I have a hard time sitting still. Like my, I just want to move, move, move. 
and playing live has just this great energy. Um, and when, when you're recording, it's all very much about precision over energy. You, you, um, you still want a really powerful, energetic, interesting performance, but um, if if you're moving around the stage and dancing on the stage, that doesn't show up on your recording. So I try to, I try to <laughs> or it shows up in ways you won't don't want. You know, like the yeah. background noise that we get in in recording, like a podcast, for instance. You know, yeah, exactly. you start moving away from the mic as much. You're not going to be it, it, your movement is going to be detected in a way that for a live show might be okay, but if you're doing a recording, it becomes very different. Yeah. And like, you know, so I said, like when COVID hit, it changed everything, which it did for everybody. But unfortunately, my brother, who had been our my bass player in high school, uh, he had really kind of stayed with it. And he had been recording songs and cover songs and just kept on it. And he asked, hey, would you want to do like a song of the week challenge uh, where we write and record a song every single week for I think the original idea was like 30 weeks in a row. So really ambitious which uh, ambitious for him. And I hadn't touched a, I hadn't touched recording equipment in a couple decades, really. So I was learning everything from scratch. And uh, we contacted a couple of guys that we knew uh, back in that day that we used to play in our, we played shows with them and they were also doing recording. One had gotten a degree in it, but that was the goal is like every week we'd record a song and we'd give each other, we'd submit it through a Facebook group. Uh, Facebook uh, group chat and we give each other feedback on it and you take what you learned from your recording, from your songwriting, from your feedback you gave to everyone else and you put it into your next song. And so at the end of this, I think I ended up with uh, 25 songs in total and I've kind of whittled it down to 10 that I'm currently working on to sort of put out an album, which is a weird phrase these days because people do releases on Spotify, but I'm, I still kind of think of it as like, I'd like to have an album's worth of material sort of done and polished up. Why? I mean, so when you think of this, so if you're saying an album, what is the difference for you then a little bit? Because I think that this is a concept within music that I, I think that the album is kind of still an idea. And we even hear kind of the difference of like album of the year versus, you know, but I mean, what do you kind of mean? What was important about that to you, even if it's being released on a digital platform? Yeah, that's a great question. To me, it's substantial. It, it's sort of like this collection of someone's headspace at the time. Um, I'm even a, I, as an English teacher, I, I would notice, you know, like we don't really read poems as books of poetry. Uh, English teachers encourage people to read like this one poem by Robert Frost. And it's like the greatest hits of Robert Frost. And that's how we consume poetry. Um, but it, to me, I was always really drawn into like reading a book of poetry and seeing the interactions between the songs. And, you know, on top of that, I, I like the idea, even though I haven't done it in quite a while, like holding that CD or holding that record in your hand and checking out the artwork and <laughs> all that stuff, you know. So, you know, a lot of that is gone, but um you know, laying out like what order am I going to put these 10 songs in raises some interesting questions. And there's always like sort of interplay between songs, even if it's not meant to be a full-blown concept album by any any means. But what's the order we put these songs in? It's just another whole level of creative process for me. Trying to take something to have a flow to it. I mean, because you can have, 
even disparate styles within the same quote unquote album, but you have to be thoughtful then of what you're, how you're going to lead into, how you're going to have them flow. There is a flow to it that does come from, as you said, even if it's not a concept album where everything is telling a specific theme or story, there still is some needing of that so that it's not jarring. Uh, well, once again, unless you're looking for jarring, but you have to be thoughtful of I'm looking for jarring and there's an intentionality. We talk a lot about this because I'm kind of thinking about the mental health other aspect to this with storytelling and creation in general is intentionality. You're not just laying down your 10 quote unquote best songs. You're probably having to make some decisions about like, well, this song might be very good, but if I'm putting together an album, there's it doesn't fit. That that the intention behind the creation needed to be there or has to be there as you're pulling this together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. And so it, and it get, kind of gets you the feeling of seeing a show. Like if you go to a concert, there's a, there's a whole pattern and flow and um, it's taking you on a journey. And I think that's really interesting too. So, um, and as I, as I was in this, uh, process of this 30 week songwriting and recording boot camp. Uh, one of the things that I came across in a book and I really leaned into was um, even if you weren't doing a full blown story song, like the boy named Sue, like we talked about earlier, uh, a, a really good, well-crafted song does take listeners on a journey. Um, and so um, one of my songs is called over and over again. It's about a couple that's broken up uh, a couple times and they keep being drawn to each other and it's very small movement. It starts with uh, she's outside his door, then she's inside the house and then they're, they're physically moving closer together and through the house. So we get some great movement there. Um, I had another song called uh, nowhere fast, which makes references to some different places on like a, a road trip through the Western United States. Um, and it definitely kind of takes readers or listeners on a physical journey. Um, and then one of the songs I think that I've actually shared with you, Hobbs, is a song called Armagosa. And it's uh, very much a story song. It's, a, it's about a woman named Marta Beckett who left New York in the 50s. Um, and she was like a showgirl. And she found herself in Death Valley, California. Which let's just be honest here. If if people don't know Death Valley, California, I mean, it has the name for a reason. Um, I mean, it's it's like the lowest point in the Western hemisphere. It has temperatures. I mean, it is, it is literally a valley where like things do not grow. This is not a hospitable place at all. So I saw this when I heard it, it was like this idea of just moving there and opening an opera house. (laughs) Yeah. She has this, so she has this opera house because she got a flat tire and, and found this, this old hotel and people weren't exactly flocking to go to death Valley, California when she started because it's the middle of nowhere and nothing was growing, but she just felt this calling. So uh, in her spare time, as she continued to work on her shows, uh, she painted an audience on the wall and it's like these crazy Renaissance type uh, uh, mural, like Sistine chapel type of stuff of audience members watching around and the, uh, eventually it was kind of like, if you build it, they will come field of dreams kind of thing. And <laughs> paintings, paintings helped turn the opera house into an attraction. And uh, she lived out there for the rest of her days. 
Well, um, I think even the fact that she was choosing to paint an audience, right? Like these murals are an audience is because this idea that the music was meant to be seen, you know, not just heard. I think I, I would say that it's more than just being heard. It's meant to be seen. It's meant to be experienced. It's meant to have an audience in front of it. It is not just, you know, she did not want to just be playing opera music or playing an opera to an empty house. And that's, you know, interesting, like, again, why, why, why do bards make sense in white? There is such a part of the artist context to have an audience and share a performance. It's, you know, the adventures are a, a great part, but, you know, I think that's another reason. So, yeah, so, so the storytelling in my own songs is kind of cool to kind of to see that happening as well. Um, so that's that's a little bit of of what i have and i know you guys like to do some actionable advice at the end of your shows too we do like to do actionable advice we're big fans of actionable advice (laughs) um before we do though i do want to talk a little bit more kind of about just some some elements of the music with you because i think that you're saying kind of this idea that you know with the music that you were drawn to as a kid even had videos associated with it i mean the monkeys what's funny is hope i mean once again this wow this is you know i, I like to think that people know who the monkeys are i'm not going to also make that assumption right now but but the monkeys were uh, they were almost this idea of like I mean, the joke being the first really planned boy band i mean they were meant to be kind of a take on the beatles to be to play on tv at first i don't think their music it was almost secondary um what's funny is a lot of their songs were written by like very famous and great musicians but like neil they diamond. had to like neil diamond wrote uh yeah uh, um several of their songs yes yeah, several i was like the, the, yeah um i think daydream believer if i'm not, not mistaken like i mean but it was funny because they were put together almost not necessarily to be musicians but because of how they would play yet they became like a legitimate band in their own right um but there was this element of performance that was associated with people like the Beatles, with the Monkees, um, that meant that you were getting that interplay even if you weren't at a concert, per se. And I think that just seeing that with, with music and to see a journey, it, it, I do think of music as a journey. I mean, I, I, I mean, obviously I am biased because music plays such an important part in my own kind of development. And I, I will say that I know that in our over in our podcast um, Discord, we actually have like a music suggestion channel where we have discussions about this because of that that thing. Um, I mean, Alex has dropped in playlists numerous times. And I mean, him and I, I was thinking this whole time of uh, how music can be used to tell the story within a story. Um, so, I mean, I think of this even getting into the concept or ideas of soundtracks and how those are put together, but soundtracks that really have uh, an impact. So I mean, this is just a, total excuse for no other reason than to say i want to talk about into the spider-verse um (laughs) because it is a collection of songs that are from very you know that are from different um songwriters different singers different performers that were meant to kind of play into the themes that are going on within spider-man's story this journey of discovery so People don't know for some reason into the spider verse is kind of this belief of or just the idea where we bring multiverses of spider people together. But it, the main central focus is Miles Morales, who from the comics is a uh, black Puerto Rican uh, kid who basically takes over the mantle of 
Spider-Man within the comics when the version of Peter Parker is killed. Um, and so he gets bit and he ends up taking up the mantle. And the, the central story is basically him becoming Spider-Man. And the musical journey, Alex, I think you and I have talked about this so many times because, I mean, this was a movie you saw in the theater, I think, four, seven five, seven? seven? I don't even times. know. Okay, seven. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, a, and a big part of that, like, there honestly to, to to be to put all the cards on the table so to speak a big part of that was the movie came out during the winter um a couple years ago and i was going through some seasonal depression that year and a bright and cheerful and wonderful movie like uh into the spider-verse was very helpful for me and and i will say too i didn't go with the same group twice was part of it it was a, a thing i went with a friend of mine the two of us go see a lot of movies together and then it was such a wonderful experience for both of us. Like, all right, well, we got to bring. And then like two weeks later was uh, one of my coworkers. And then I went with, you know, a different friend Then we can finally convince someone else to go. And then so it kind of went with a bunch of different people to it. And me, you and I and you. too. Yes, and, that's right. Uh, yeah. 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 And that was, that was, I got you there. Um, it was, and the music was such a big part of that in the sound in general, but the music like you said, the songs are all from different groups, all from different artists, um, but they tied into the story. Was a, and then these were original songs as opposed to some movies we use songs from other soundtracks. I know like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are, are good examples of where they can take pre-existing songs and really build scenes. I mean, um, James Gunn will talk about that in 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 some of the the making of stuff that's on the the, the Blu-rays of those movies. How he built scenes around the songs that he had picked, but Into the Spider Verse is is a little different. Where you're these artists are making songs specifically for that movie, but you have a similar effect where the song is a part. It isn't just accentuating the action. There's a lot of action scenes. You know, we, we, we talk about the Thor scene with Immigrant Song. There there are some great song, there are great, great scenes where those songs are providing good punch for what's going on, the emotions and the actions. But with, with Into the Spider-Verse, it's a lot more than that. The song is built into the world and it's 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 kind of woven together. Well, I mean, to the point where like Miles is listening to some of this on a like on headphones. I um, mean, it it is directly built into him like singing along bad lyrics to one of the songs. I want to say diegetic is the term. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, sound where it's it's sound that's happening in the world as opposed to sound that isn't. So you know, a lot of those action movies, the sound is is the song is something that the listener or the viewers are hearing, but the people in universe are not, but in spider verse, and it's not all of the songs they, they use there's there's strengths to both techniques, but in spider verse, they use both where there is definitely times where the character miles is listening to this song and singing along with the song, or, you know, there's, there's other times where the song is just there in the background, but it's, it's, that was one of the pieces that made that movie so so wonderful was the masterful use of music and sound to to build a deeper experience. And I think that that's where, you know, um, in the notes, Eric, you're kind of talking about that it's useful for lyrics, even if it's not a specific story song, that there is some kind of movement. There's some kind of there is a narrator or there is a narrative direction. Um, and 
once again, I think it brings us back to, I think, you know, thinking of music for me, um, because of how important it is, I talk about it all the time as a use for, uh, we're going to talk about actionable advice, but I talk about music is um, in therapy or with the people I work with as a kind of a coping mechanism. And to be, it's not just music, it's intentionality behind music. And I will talk about the fact that like, if I'm going to go for a run on a day where I feel exhausted, I am not going to put on the bedtime music that I may put on for Gwen to go to sleep to. It's just not going to be effective because music does have that effect for me. And I think it's that intentionality. And you're even talking about the album building or the the creative approach, that there's more intentionality to it. And part of this being um, during COVID, maybe that the, your journey has had this distinct movement with that to it, or there's been more intentionality maybe behind some of that. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things there, you know, um, in a time where we were sitting very still, um, I was pushing myself to have this movement within the songs, even like that uh, Nowhere Fast, which is a literal imagined road trip of some of my favorite places. Um, and getting, I wrote a lot about cars. Like I, I'm not a car guy, <laughs> but it was like, I'm sitting in my house, I'm playing guitar, I'm working, or I'm like, driving somewhere and so there was a stint where i think i and some of them were not great songs that didn't make the cut but i i wrote about uh, cars a few different times i mean maybe i I love the idea of the the imagined road trip because you would like to go like i mean i'm i'm somebody who loves and i you, you had settings i think that there is at least you talked about the americana piece from your doing i know that you lived in colorado we talked about red rocks early on um your song about the opera house of death Valley, there is actually kind of a Western feel to it, so it from what I've heard so far. Yeah. Um, and I grew up in North Dakota um, and I took a lot of classes in college about North Dakota poetry and felt very rooted in that. Um, when I was a kid, I wanted to live in Denver, Minneapolis and Seattle. Um, and I would add a place in California to that list now. And that's kind of where I, where I have spent my spent my life. So setting is really important. It helps kind of focus your voice for sure. Um, and I think it's important um, to uh, let that kind of thing shine through. And as an artist, you know, to be who you are and not try to be um, generic. There And there's some songwriting discussion about that going back to... Um, Motown. Motown had a rule where you could not use a person's name in a song at all because they wanted the, the lyrics to be universal. And obviously, who are you, who am I to argue with Barry Gordy and, and his hit machine uh, at Motown? But to you know, there are different schools of thought, and to me, I think it's important that people share their unique vision, and you'll attract people that align with that. The soundtrack thing is very much like a bard to take all these cover songs and pull them together and use it to tell a story. I think that would be another great question uh, that uh, you could tag me in or something to Hobbs is what is your favorite soundtrack? Um, I could listen. I'm not going to lie that that I've almost posted that like three or four times. And so I may make that the question for, to tie along to this episode because you know, so I have talked about when I go running, I like to have music. It's not something that what's funny is I did not have that available to me when I was younger because I mean, I just, I, the nature of my running, I didn't carry a Walkman with me. I don't like having a lot, but I can just, I have headphones that connect to my watch. It's a wild world. I can store music on a watch. Um, 
And so I, when I'm running, it's my time to kind of be more thoughtful and to have that playing. And a big portion of that, these type of things come up to me and music is a part of it. And I actually had just thoughts about soundtracks um, the, the other day. So I probably will throw it in there. Do you want to answer it now then, or are you going to hold out until uh, this drops? I had a thought here too, you know, you were talking about places. Like, unfortunately, I never got to, I was a kid, so... But one of the places and times I would have really wished to live is like in the early 90s in Seattle before all the alternative music broke. But you get a movie like Singles or a soundtrack like Signals. <laughs> that was uh, one of the ones I was thinking of. <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful. And Paul Westerberg, like that's what got me into the replacements was Paul Westerberg's later stuff, actually. And that's almost sacrilegious to say in Minnesota, but, um, you know, or Dazed and Confused was another one at the time. I one time I sat down to do my movies, uh, my favorite movies of all time, and I, I realized I don't like really I don't like movies. I like guitars, and you know, like one of my favorite movies is Major League, from and why do I love that movie? Because when Ricky Vaughn comes out, they play Wild Thing. One of my fa- my favorite trilogy of all time is Back to the Future. Why? Because Marty McFly plays Johnny B. Good, and it's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my whole life. And, you know, like, um, it, it, people are drawn to Star Wars for this, for music and stuff too. But for me, it's it, if put a guitar in a movie and I'll watch it. That's what I, that's what I think. <laughs> I'm laughing about the Marty McFly thing because it's come up in my head about one of those things. It's like, I love that performance. And then they had to make it problematic because it was like, oh, yeah. yeah, he's the one who inspired like Chuck Berry to write this song. Like, come on. Like, it's bothersome. But like the performance itself was great. I think it's a, that lens of looking at it from me now versus where I was when it came out. Um, but even then, the third movie had ZZ Top as a background band. Right. Oh, like, supposed I... to be in like the 1800s. So the third movie, when they're in the old West and they're at the, the fair, that's ZZ Top. <laughs> like, I haven't revisited the third one in a long time, but I did read the book when I was a little kid. That's how much I was into back to the future. I was like reading the books based on the movies. And I mean, it's just, this so, is definitely uh, going to be the question. The soundtrack one is definitely going to be the question because uh, <laughs> I, and this is one that I could, I could do a whole other show or episode on soundtracks um yeah because it does i think it is that element of and i like what alex brought up with the diegetic piece if that is the correct term i'm just going with it Should probably look um it up. but that you know in music that happens within the world versus out of the world and how those are used to me music and to tell stories and it's it's, it's to enhance it and that is something that we've gotten with the idea of motion pictures. Um, but, you know, just with this idea of even v- uh, music videos, um, which I'm seeing people come back, like Folklore by Taylor Swift had had quite a few videos attached to it. But the idea was, I mean, that's what I remember from the 90s too, is just, you know, like the music video was part of it and and what it did for the song. But I think a lot of this is just reminding, it just to me is just why music is so important is because it can enhance the storyline, but it's also being used for that narrative device. And, you know, we've seen it a little bit in magic. We're seeing that there are those elements. We know that magic exists within this world. I would love to see if where we're going to be taking it and if there is going to be more of a storytelling element to it. Yeah. And I did look, I actually finally look at it, but it is diegetic sound. That is, that is the proper term. So, 
Um, and and now I'm sorry. I've just been in my head thinking about um, about Major League and how a sports movie like that is a wonderful way to be able to use diegetic sound because you know a lot of those baseball stadiums and and all those sorts of sports arenas have sound systems to specifically play music to do a real life version of what action movies do where you use music to accentuate the emotion and the action or sort of between things to sort of punctuate stuff between the action i suppose because you're not really playing music while they're trying to sports um but so you get that sort of thing in major league where he has, you know, wild thing, you know, like that becomes his sort of theme song that becomes his sort of name among the fans. And so they can play that song, you know, when this character comes out and when there's, you know, character moments, so they can play it both as a movie um, mechanism to underline those emotions, but also to, to, to build as I get to use my favorite word again, a verisimilitude with the world and the story, <laughs> because that is what they would be doing in a baseball game in the real world too. And I, yeah, just, I just occurred to me, listening to you talk there, Alex, like you think of the role of the wild thing in that movie um, where when this pitcher comes out of the bullpen and there's this loud rock music playing and there's a sense of danger, like he has the nickname Wild Thing because he's accidentally hit batters <laughs> in the past. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I'm just like, it's, That's right. it's, they don't know he has the power of just like complete, uh, it's, it's, it's early days of Randy Johnson. Like you don't know yeah. the ball is coming, but it was going to come yeah. quick. And it was a nickname that came out of Bad Thing. <laughs> And what what it, what does it do? It's exactly the role of a bard. It inspires <laughs> the team. It like pumps him up. It puts fear in the opponents. It's building him into like the man, the myth, and the legend. And you know, like that is like one of my formative like how do you tell a story moments that's stuck in my head because I probably wore that videotape out when I was a kid watching Major League. But I'm not gonna lie, that's what, uh, having that's what having bard does right, yeah having Eric on the show made our transitions like improve by like 1000% just because of his storytelling ability, Alex. So just, yeah. I want to point that out. I just, Te I just teaching love... helps too. You <laughs> I suppose. I just, I'm just thinking about how that song gave, you know, the character intimidate the key, the keyword. And it's like, yeah, yes. that does fit. <laughs> That's amazing. So actionable advice. Um, I talked about for me, it's the intentionality, um, what music I am choosing or or not choosing to listen to in moments, um, how I'm using it to either accentuate an emotion or to help me maybe break out of an emotion. The other natural connection that I can kind of think of is is what you talked about using it for during COVID or how you used it, um, Eric. Yeah, I think... Um... You know, since there is this mental health element, I'll, I'll touch on that quickly too, to this podcast of, uh, it, it helped me stay connected to people. It was a therapeutic thing. Um, I actually, you know, had kind of joked about midlife crisis stuff earlier and there is a real strong therapeutic piece to listening to music, to creating music and those kinds of things. Um, so that's, that's definitely there too. Um. One of the things in terms of a actionable advice, I think, from this whole story is what it, whatever it is that you do um, as a creative outlet, I would encourage you to see if you could get a couple people together and do kind of that workshop model, whether it's like a song of the week or 
Photography Month. I know Hob does. Hobbs does. I think Alex, you've done uh, Nana Remo before. But sharing those songs every week and having a deadline to, to create something every week really gave me uh, motivation, education, affirmation, inspiration, everything that I needed to to kind of get this done and make some real progress. I think you guys uh, doing a weekly podcast is another example of that and getting feedback from each other and the community. So I think it could help with any hobby. So if you can get a group of people together that can give each other feedback, that's step one. Try to create something every week or two, or whatever you agree to. And what we found with that was, and I've heard um, Dan Wilson of Semisonic talk about this, you want to train your brain to like you get an idea for a song or a story or a podcast whatever it is. And your brain just starts to realize when I get this idea, I'm going to finish the song. Even if it's crap, I'm going to finish it because then when you get a great idea, your brain is trained to finish the song, finish the project. I thought that was super powerful. Uh, You want to focus on the process as much as the project. Just like, Oh, here's, here's my whole process. And you refine all those little things and you get into that writing routine. That's why writers are so obsessed to like, what does Stephen King's desk look like? It's because <laughs> he's thought about where he puts his pens and where, you know, what typewriter he uses and that stuff. Right. And then, you know, take what you learn from each week and apply it to next week. It was such an incredibly powerful process. Um, and so I encourage uh, you all to do it. And if you, if you do try something like that, uh, please reach out to me on, on Twitter. It's probably the easiest place to find me. I'd love to kind of hear about your your weekly challenges, something like that. Another piece of technical advice, Hobbs and I love to put on like Spotify, like the Eels or something like that, and all of our <laughs> magic groups. So what, what my actual advice is like you and a friend, you agree on what the music is good, and then everyone else has to listen to your Spotify. <laughs> that's, that's that's what I would do. I mean, I feel like most people just let you and I do that when we're at Magic Fest, because or by Magic Fest, I mean like what we call our get-togethers even here in Minneapolis yeah. because of that element that we probably have stronger opinions than most. <laughs> I'm sure and there's taste. people that hate it, but uh, uh, it's fun for me, and I feel like we're doing a public good by letting people know about the eels. And I'm going to say too, that your Dan Wilson reference, I actually did not, I, I, I thought that that was a potential for one of your better concerts to show up as. Oh, it absolutely was. I just had too many. I know that was the idea. I wanted to overwhelm you. The other people in the, he was taking requests and he ended up playing the song that uh, my wife and I danced to at our first, at our first, uh, at our wedding, at our first dance at our wedding. So that was pretty spectacular. That was the Ice House in Minneapolis. He does shows like that in California, but yeah, music is wonderful. And yeah, well, we, when I was in high school, we chanted for Weird Al to play Yoda as an encore at the fair, and he did. <laughs> and he did. He did actually. It was amazing. I mean, uh, I I don't know. I actually, I had forgotten about that until you mentioned the request piece. But yes, yep. and I would like to say too, Eric, your idea of the actual advice of just kind of the um the focus on the process and not necessarily the product, like, especially it's it, 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 the product is going to hopefully is going to improve. If your process is something that is, is well thought out is well structured as has a plan to it. Um, 
I, I talk about this a lot with things that we can't control. So, um, example, social skills. We go back to that D and D and social anxiety. You can improve your communication. You can think about the process of how you're going to do it. Your end result still may not be what you want it to be, or you may not get everything to work out. But you can refine. You can think about what the process was, and that to me is where a lot of this can happen with any of this, with music, with art, with content creation, is that there is intentionality and process that goes into it. Ira Glass uh, of This American Life, he wrote an article that you might uh, link to the the show notes. Um, I'll send I'll send it to you when I remember the title. But the point of it is this: is that like a lot of people are drawn to creative stuff. A lot of artists are drawn to want to create because they have for lack of a better term, like they have really good taste and they're like, I want to do that. Just like we saw Yisan, like I want to do the sliver music or whatever. Right. But when they start the journey, there's an enormous gap between what they're able to do and what their taste tells them is good. Um, And so that can stop a lot of people from self-expression that can stop a lot of people from creation but the best thing you can do is just keep working away at it and enjoy the ride, enjoy the process and, um, you know, enjoy the fact that you're creating something and it will improve. It will get better and you'll definitely be happy and proud of some of the stuff that you come up with. And that's our show for today. You can find the host on Twitter. Hotsqueue can be found at Hotsqueue and Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmugs, the task can be found at patreon.com slash GoblinLorePod. Opening and closing music by Vindergotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten or online at Vindergotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael can be found on Twitter at Steve Raffle. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Tipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.